What is the best invention that the world has faced until this day? Probably internet. I think internet has flourished so many innovations, new technologies, and connecting people that I would go with internet. Welcome to season two of Altier Stories. My name is Alexi, and I'm here with my co-host Hilla. You will hear more stories from setbacks to victories and everything in between. This season, our guests include both Altoyes alumni as well as other inspiring people who share an entrepreneurial mindset. Welcome, Ara, to our podcast, to the third episode. Nice to have you here. Thank you. Excited to be here. We could do begin with a little introduction. So could you tell us about your background and uh, studies and what are you doing? Uh, yeah, today? yeah, absolutely. So um, I started at Alto in 2017. I've been studying industrial engineering and management. It wasn't like until my first week, I guess, when I got involved in Alto ES. So I went to the open meeting, uh, got to meet a lot of people, got to volunteer in a lot of different events. I was also part of Slush for, for a while. And um, through those experiences, got to lead QS. Uh, and that was kind of my main project in the startup ecosystem. Um, and spent a couple of years there. I was the CEO until uh, the end of summer last year, 2020. Uh, and that was when I founded my own company, Flowrite, which is an AI-powered writing tool, which I'll probably tell you more about later. But that's what I'm I'm focused on right now. Yeah, sounds great. If we talk a little bit more about Giwas first, can you explain to some of the listeners that don't know what Giwas is? Yeah, it's a startup accelerator. At least when I was running it, it was a student-led uh, accelerator program. Uh, I'm not sure if it's it's necessarily that anymore, but it was born out of Alto years. So the you know prior to Giwas, there was Summer of Startups, which was established already 2010, I think. And um, in 2017, they rebranded it to QS, the board of 2017. And then uh, in 2019, we established it as an independent entity. And uh, I was running that. We, we kind of helped uh, all kinds of different early stage startups, especially here in Finland, in many ways. So we helped them to build their products, get their first customers, uh, raise funding, scale, grow whatever we did that by connecting them with all the all the support and, and mentors and you know all the tools that they need what do you believe that are the biggest learnings from QS for yourself like running QS was definitely a great learning experience i got to meet a lot of different startups a lot of different types of companies in their most earliest stages so there's a lot of learnings i think the biggest learning has come from those discussions with the founders, you know, having seen them in, in such an early stage and being so close to them. I don't think there's many opportunities to get as close to a startup than, you know, running a program like that. So I think in general, now that we've been building Flowrite and I'm a first time founder, there's many of these situations when you need to make bigger decisions. And when you're doing it for the first time, it might be really difficult sometimes. So I guess I have the advantage of having seen so many type of these situations and being able to reflect back on uh, startups that we've had in the programs and how they've approached these kinds of situations and then you know, choosing the best options or then, you know, calling someone that I know 
through QS. Yeah. So there's like straight advantages to have those experience as a founder from the QS QS times. Yeah, absolutely. Then you you kind of just need to utilize those learnings. So there's obviously like some people that work for many years in the startup ecosystem and, and get a lot of learnings, but then don't end up founding their own companies, and that's fine. But if you're able to utilize those learnings, uh, it can be really powerful. Hmm. You also mentioned Slush before. So what was your role in in Slush? I was a group lead uh, in 2017, and then. After running my first program at QS, I wasn't really sure what I want to do next. So I spent about half a year at Slash in the investor operations team. So I was doing all things related to investors. I was organizing the investor day, which is uh, one of these pre-events of Slash one day prior to the main event. Uh, so I did that in 2018 and also kind of communicated with investors, helped them to meet different types of startups and, you know, answered all the questions that they had, you know, kind of a glorified customer service role, I guess, for investors. What kind of things did you organize under QWAS? What kind of programs and uh, different things that you founded yeah. then? Yeah, the main main thing that we did at QWAS was running the programs. So we had two programs. We kind of simplified the whole program concept in 2019 when I started to run it. Before that, we used to do many types of different programs, which were kind of similar to each other. But we really simplified it down to only two programs. So we ran QS Start twice a year during spring and during fall. And that was very focused on the earliest stages of you know founding a startup. So we took people into the program with just an idea, didn't even need to have a team. So you could come yourself if the idea is good. And and you've made even some initial progress. And uh, we kind of helped them validate their idea and uh, build the first product and get their first customers. So focusing on the really early stage topics. And then we had another program called the Accelerator, which is kind of the flagship of QS. And uh, we ran that we ran that during the summers. So I was part of organizing the 2018 and, and 19 and 2020 programs. And um, that was more for established companies, not companies, but startups still. Um, so we took teams that already had a product. They usually already had some customers and some revenue as well. And they were kind of at the phase that they're looking to scale and find that product market fit. How many startups did you help during your time in total in Kios? Yeah, I think it was around 100. So we had about 15 to 20 teams in, in each program. And I was part of organizing six programs, I think. So yeah, about 100. No. Yeah. And what about Kiwas Inside? Was that your project as well? Yeah, we're obviously all the team members were participating in that. But we got the idea for Kiwas Inside in early 2019, or actually like prior to the summer of 2019. And that kind of was born from the idea or, or the problem that we had encountered in the startup ecosystem, which was finding co-founders. So we knew that there's a lot of people that are really excited about founding their own company, but they have difficulty in finding co-founders if they're not networked in the startup bubble or, or if they just don't know people who are like-minded. So we had done a concept called QS Team Up in 2017 and 2020, which was an event concept where we brought people together and, and kind of in a similar way, the goal was that they would then found their companies together. There were you know, some difficulties with the event concept, 
was really hard to get like really, really technical people to join those events. So we figured that if we build a simple online uh, directory of people and projects and then uh, you know, match them together and, and help people find uh, co-founders for their projects and also, you know, make them available um, for projects that are out there. We could, you know, facilitate some matches that then could end up in our programs or um, in any way, you know. And that went quite well. So I started building the platform in, in the beginning of the summer in 2019. Uh, we launched it at Demo Day and then I guess we had like thousand people joining it in, in about a few weeks or a couple of months, I think. So we had a pretty good result. And then we ended up having the first teams that were founded through Kiwas Insight. So people had found each other through Kiwas Insight, then, you know, continued the project and then ended up in Kiwas Start program after that. So that was a good result and outcome already quite soon after establishing the project. So was your part in building the Kiosk inside on the like building the actual platform or what do you did you do like uh, yeah, yeah in practice yeah we, we decided that we won't be or, or like outsourcing to any any you know dev agencies or you know even recruiting a developer to to do that so we decided to do it ourselves and i have been building websites and different projects with you know no code tools and website builders and building a platform like that is actually at the end not that difficult so yeah i i built it about a few months was doing it like on the side of qs side of all the main activities we were running the accelerator program and we're also you know building the starting up course at the same time so i was doing it for a few months uh, on the side can you talk a little bit more about the starting up course so what it, yeah. what it is and how did you come up with the idea Yeah, absolutely. So that was also born from kind of a problem that we had encountered among our target audience, which was, you know, people generally excited about entrepreneurship, uh, a lot of students as well. I knew firsthand thinking about people with whom I'm studying, for example, uh, that there's a lot of like hype about entrepreneurship. People are like, quite excited about it but then at the end people lack the very basic skills of founding a company and because of that it feels even quite frightening for people to actually start their own companies we were quite inspired by this course called elements of ai which was also launched in i think 2019 or at the end of 2018 which was about uh, artificial intelligence and i thought that there was a lot of similar thinking with with artificial intelligence and entrepreneurship in terms of like it's a really mystical topic and there's a lot of talking about it but then at the end people don't necessarily know what it means in in concrete and what it actually consists of so we felt that if we can you know bring this information available very easily um, to people and make it kind of attractive that you can complete a course anywhere in the world uh, you can even get like credits for doing it if you're in university. Felt that it's a like really interesting thing to do. Uh, and that was the idea. And in quite the si- same time as we, we began working on QS Inside, so in you know at the end of spring or something like that in 2019. So we got really excited about the idea. We talked about it to Laura Jarvileta, who's from AVP. He got also excited about it, and, and we started working on that. Uh, during the summer, we created uh, kind of a 
uh, outline for the course. Then we had a couple uh, other entities joining the project. So Maki VEC from Helsinki and then um, Alta University and, and also Reactor who then ended up doing the technical implementation of the course. So what we ended up having at the end was uh, about 200 pages of really, really practical advice from top entrepreneurs uh, in the Nordics. Um, there's content about you know, founding a startup, you know, establishing a company, validating an idea. Um, all of these uh, really, really basic things that are important when you want to um, become an entrepreneur. And uh, we ended up launching it at Slush on the main stage in 2019. And the last time I checked the stats, it was roughly with 10,000 people uh, who had signed up on the course in, in 150 countries. So it's currently maintained by Aalto University. It went like quite well. Uh, obviously, we had much, much bigger goals, but the outcome has been quite positive. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's a great recommendation for our listeners also. If yeah. you haven't done the starting up course, you should definitely do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we tried to make it as practical as possible. So uh, even though it's it's technically a university course, we try to make it quite, you know, less theoretic than a normal university course would be. So we included, you know, advice from established entrepreneurs instead of some folks who necessarily haven't been there and done that. Mm. You've had a lot, lot to do with different startups, especially in Kiwas with these different, different projects and stuff. So when did you realize that you wanted to become an entrepreneur yourself? I think it kind of grew over time. So when I got involved in Alta Yes and, and QS, I don't think I, I had really much of an entrepreneurial ambition back then. I just wanted to get involved in you know organizing these cool things and getting to meet a lot of uh, like-minded people. I think that was the main thing in the early days, but then it started like becoming more and more valid option. And I think it was in early 2020 when I decided that won't be even considering any other op- opportunities, but, you know, making the decision that I will be founding my company uh, when I leave QS. And that was a really good decision to make because then it was clear in my head that, that this is the only option. And um, yeah, I don't say that that's, you know, the best way to do it. I know a lot of people who rec- recommend that you, you shouldn't be, you know, thinking that you, you want to start a company, but it should come naturally through other work or some problem that you encounter. But I guess it worked out pretty well. And I know a lot of people who've had a similar path. So how did you come up with Flowrite? I guess like during my time at QS and also during Slush, I was spending huge amounts of hours on a daily basis on communication, so writing emails, um, replying to emails, uh, communicating with different stakeholders. And also as a CEO of a small company, I was also doing some content work and writing for social media, whatever. Uh, But I think in general, like writing took just so many hours of my day and I was always using different types of productivity tools. I'm kind of a productivity tool person. I've been using Grammarly and different types of writing tools as well for many years. But I felt that there's not much progress on the generative side. So even though you can use Grammarly to to fix your writing, 
um, the very fundamental experience of how you generate text from scratch uh, has stayed pretty much the same. Although there is a lot of progress in, in AI, and especially now that we've had these language models such as GPT-3, I felt that there's a lot of opportunities to, to do something here. But it wasn't until summer of last year, we got together with Carlos Sariola, who's now my co-founder. We are actually met already three years ago. He was a participant in the first program that I ran in QS. And uh, we got together during the summer, started like brainstorming different ideas, uh, started talking about different markets and problems that we've encountered. We also came across the language model that I mentioned, uh, GPT-3 by, by OpenAI, uh, which is an American research uh, company. And we felt that there are so many possibilities to you know, utilize this technology in, in all kinds of different industries. And this you know, everyday productivity and everyday writing, uh, repetitive writing was the first use case that we really like got excited about. And the initial idea for Fluoride and still uh, still is uh, was to build kind of a horizontal tool that would integrate to wherever you're writing on a daily basis and you could use it to turn short samples of text and you know groups of words into ready to send emails and posts and messages and, and content whatever you're writing and who's the target group for your product at least for now we're really focused on communications, so email and messaging type of use cases. So the, the target group, at least for now, is, is quite much, you know, executives and entrepreneurs and managers and investors. Also, you know, salespeople, consultants and these kinds of target groups. Uh, the product is really versatile already, so you can use it for your own use cases. It's not very limited to where you can use it. And we're currently really like figuring out what are the use cases where it creates the value uh, the most. Um, but I think, you know, overall, those are the first target groups. And what about the market? Is there a lot of competition in that market? Mm, I don't think it's the most competitive market if you think about SaaS uh, software in general. When we started Flowrite and we got into the beta program of OpenAI, uh, we got access to GPT-3 among the first few hundred people, I think, which was in, in September last year. Uh, there wasn't pretty much anyone doing you know, anything similar. So there were only a few commercial projects out there that were using GPT-3. And it's a really valid question because we're kind of relying on an external technology. So the competition is quite a relevant question for us. Uh, there is obviously a lot of things that we're building on top of that. So it's not that we're just 100% relying on that API, but there's many things that we're building on top of it. But yeah, since we started, there's definitely been more competition. So there's many players in you know, copywriting. So using the AI to generate marketing content or social media posts and things like that, and then selling the tool to marketing agencies, for example. We're not really like focusing on that in particular. Uh, but I think like still up to this date, we haven't seen a similar approach than, than what we have. And in which stage is your product at the moment? So we just recently shipped the product first users. So we've been in very much of a product building mode for multiple of months now. It was like a few weeks back when we had our first users. There's now a few dozen 
people in the beta from whom we're collecting feedback all the time and we're increasing the amount of users every week. Uh, the good thing for us is that we've had this wait list that you can join ever since we launched for the first time in October. There's now roughly 10,000 people on that wait list, which allows us to kind of just choose people from the wait list and not having to find those users when we, we are now ready with the product. So yeah, we're, do we're still doing a lot of product development. We have a lot of things on the pipeline, but the, the I guess, MVP or the first shippable version is now finalized. You're building a global product, so or like a global startup. Do you think that Finnish people generally lack this global mindset or what do you think? Yeah, it's definitely something that I felt lately. You didn't like really think about it when I was running QS, but now that we have been building Fluorite and especially that the world has become smaller uh, due to COVID and remote working, I don't think there is no reason to not uh, find your first users and your investors from you know all around the world and not just from Finland. So I think not many Finnish founders in the early stage have yet really understood that current way of how we work really enables uh, a lot of things and you know being global from day one. And uh, I wouldn't do it in any other way. So, so what's your approach to building a global company? What are the uh, concrete steps to that you have taken to build a actual global company and product? I think for us, it has come down to who we surround ourselves with. So when we've uh, thought about like which are the companies that we benchmark and look up to, they're not necessarily here locally in Finland, but but elsewhere in the world. And, you know, also like when we were thinking about which kinds of investors do we want to have in our pre-seed round, definitely wanted to have an international investors on board already in the first round. And also when we're thinking about our hires from where we are hiring, we're definitely hiring like globally already. It doesn't have to be something that you start doing when you're X amount of people, you can already start doing it uh, with your first hires. And a lot of it is also about your distribution, like which kinds of marketing you're doing. We're not in any way targeting to a Finnish audience. Uh, we are really like doing our marketing and content in a way that it's it's approachable for a global audience. And I think it has paid out quite well. We currently have only about um, I, I, I didn't say that it's a goal of of minimizing the, the amount of people that you have in your audience from Finland, but I think we have only about like 8% of our website visitors coming from Finland right now. How many people are you in your team and what's your philosophy on building a team? Yeah, we're currently seven people. We're only um, two people until early February. So we've been growing quite fast and hiring a lot of people lately. What we have been kind of looking for with the first hires is the eagerness to learn because we're working on such a new technology uh, like GPT-3 that hasn't been around there for not very long. There's not actually like many experts on on GPT-3 and and you know language models in general. So even though if we were able to hire people with you know a lot of experience, it's not like necessarily something that we need. So we we've been like 
more about finding people that are really eager to learn, are really humble, and have also kind of an entrepreneurial mindset because the first hires, especially that we made, are kind of the first ones after the co-founders. And they're joining the company at a stage where there's still a lot of, lot of uh, uncertainty and so that there's a lot of risk uh, involved, but they definitely need to be able to cope with that uncertainty of, of things not being like uh, to the point necessarily. Are all of your team members located in Finland at the moment or, or are you doing like totally remote? Most of the team is based in Helsinki. We have one person uh, who's based in Pakistan. I think the next next one or two hires are also going to be abroad. But even though we're we're based in Finland, um, most of us are working uh, remotely at least for a few days uh, every week. So we're definitely building kind of a remote type of communication and company culture already at this stage. Could you elaborate a bit more on the actual like building process of your company and your product? Mm. What kind of steps do you take building the product? Yeah, there's like so many sides to it. There's like building the product, there's doing marketing, growing our audience, then the actual steps of, you know, building the company, so hiring people, setting up all the operations. I think there's so many things. Um, is there something specific that you want to focus on? Well, like I was wondering about the actual product, so how's yeah. the like process of building that product? Yeah. Yeah, so when we started, we wanted to have something out there that is you know, tangible as soon as possible. So the first product that we built was just a very simple you know, GPT-3 wrapper that we then launched it to a few people in our network and started collecting feedback already like a few weeks after getting the idea. That was the you know, early stage philosophy and that has still you know carried up to this date so the product that we've now put uh, out there to our first user is definitely not at the level where we want it to be and it kind of feels also a little bit frightening to give it to people because we kn- you know yourself that there's still so many things they want to fix about it but then it's really good to start collecting feedback as soon as possible so even though it, the product is not ready yet even in your opinion it's probably wise to give it out to people and you know get their feedback because they see things that you don't see it was really really common for us before shipping it to to the first users because we had been using the product for already a while ourselves so we actually couldn't even notice the bugs uh, and you know glitches that the product had until giving it out to to real users and having seen like how they perceive it yeah i guess in, in general like shipping even a simpler product to first users you know as soon as possible and then you know getting feedback iterating very quickly and you know trying to build uh, a lovable product and something that you would your, yourself use as well is there some kind of framework that you follow like lead startup model or where have you gotten the learnings to the process mm, not in particular i think you could say that we're following some of the lean startup methodologies, but uh, we're not really like thinking about it, uh, that yeah, this is the lean startup uh, framework that we're using at Flowrite. Hmm. What would you give us your best tips for somebody who wants to become an entrepreneur, but for example, that they don't have an idea yet, like where should they start figuring out something? Hmm. 
I guess the common advice is to just start building something, so I would give that. I think a really good advice is to try and encounter problems in your daily life. So whenever you, you see something that is not working well for you or you're not happy with a service that you've been using, then there's probably other people who have the same problem as well. So, you know, if you have a problem in your life and, you know, anything that you're using or anything that you encounter, and it's a really, like, a big problem, there probably are a lot of people who have the same one. So then, you know, kind of like identifying those problems and thinking if you could solve that problem in a better way than somebody else does. I think that's uh, quite a good advice. And then, like, obviously, meeting similar people, like-minded people. Um, so if you're not a person that can come up with ideas easily, maybe we can, maybe you can, you know, team up with someone that uh, naturally comes up with ideas all the time. Your product is about productivity. Mm -hmm. So uh, what are your best productivity tips for people? I think the best advice that I can give is to figure out the ways that work for you the best. So at least for me, I've tried all kinds of different methodologies, you know, building really, really complex personal project management systems and to-do lists, um, etc. But I found out that a really simple setup usually works the best. So just having like a note-taking uh, app and a to-do list is probably something that you just want to start with because it's really easy to overcomplicate things and it's really fun to build all of these really complex productivity systems for yourself. But then at least I've then ended up not using them too much. So a really simple setup works for me the best. I think the most important thing is to just figure out what works for you. Because for some people, uh, it might be that really complex productivity setup and, and a lot of different tools. But for me, it's a simple one. Do you have any specific routines in your life that you follow? Yeah, I wish I had more. I think I've been more routine oriented in the past, but now there's just, you know, it's so uh, hectic at the moment. We're doing so many things at Flowrite that there's not much routine into my life. But I think it's going to get hopefully a little bit easier once we are past this launch phase. Um, so lately we've been like really focused on, on iterating the product and shipping it to, to users really fast. Uh, and I think it's going to take a few months uh, still to get past this point. Yeah. Just go with the flow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or recruit uh, people to, to do your job uh, yeah. or some of your, your work, which is really difficult, by the way. Yeah. I have one more question regarding your product and the field you are working on, Flowrite. So where do you see writing and communication going in the future? Yeah, I think like there's going to be a lot of products built on top of these language models. I think we've only seen the beginning of it uh, right now and there's been quite a few interesting use cases for those uh, including us for example so i think there's going to be more products for you know everyday writing making that more automized and, and faster and we are kind of also contributing to that hmm. and what do you think about the the receiving part are people getting too lazy to read stuff if they want help writing them like do hmm. they need help reading them as well I don't know. I haven't thought about it too much. I think in general, due to the rise of remote working and COVID, people are writing much, much more. People are not taking that much meetings anymore. A lot of businesses have moved into more of a 
asynchronous type of communication. So but I can say that like people are writing much, much more right now. And obviously like then in the other end, there also needs to be someone who reads uh, also much, much more. So yeah, probably there's going to be also some tools that are optimized for, you know, the, the receiving end. So understanding text faster. Maybe that's also interesting use case for us. Yeah, there's a startup idea for someone yeah. out there. <laughs> exactly. Well, should we talk a little bit more about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial mindset? Yeah, so Aura, how would you define entrepreneurial mindset? Or what are some aspects of it in your opinion? I think there is like many sides to it and people think about entrepreneurship in a lot of different ways, but I think what's common and what I think when I think about entrepreneurship and what it's what it is the biggest thing for me is having ownership of your work so really being passionate about what you're doing so it's not just something that you do on a routine basis you go to work similar time every day and stuff at the similar time every day but it's something that you're really passionate about and even might want to you know continue doing even if you're you're tired and and wouldn't want to work otherwise but yeah i think that's that's a good and a bad thing at the same time and what are the most important skills for an entrepreneur i think the biggest uh, skill is the ability to create new things um and it doesn't have to mean that you're a developer and you can develop a mobile application but if you can yourself you know create things maybe you can Uh, create an atmosphere or or a team and and make them excited about creating new things. So I think you know creating new things in general is is the main things main skill. And now that you have been like building your own startup for six or seven months, what have been the most surprising or rewarding things about being an entrepreneur? Yeah, I I think the biggest realization has been about the speed of, of like how quick things are moving. So if you would have asked me when we started Fluoride, like where we are uh, now in, in March of 2021, it would have been like completely different than where we are right now. So when we've grown and we've became more established and the product has developed and we've gotten more traction, I think we've also became more hungry and, and then you know wanted to progress even faster. And, you know, I think in many situations you have to be making decisions based on very little data, which can be quite intimidating sometimes, uh, but that's just something that you need to get used to. There's just many points um, in founding a company where you can't just, you know, start figuring out things for, for weeks and, you know, optimizing for the best decision. But there's just like situations where you need to make really, really fast decisions. And those can be be hard, but those also, you know, contribute to the speed of how fast you're moving. Are there some big challenges that you've faced already or some setbacks? To be honest, we haven't had any like bigger setbacks yet. So it's been quite straightforward for us. Uh, Definitely a lot of like learnings here and there, but nothing really detrimental. You have done uh, QS and being in a slush and now founded your own company. In which position do you feel that you have grown the most? Yeah, that's definitely like founding my own company. So QS slush 
these different things were like great learning experiences, getting to meet a lot of people, seeing how different startups are being built. Uh, but the biggest learnings definitely have come when you actually end up, you know, doing the thing and founding your company yourself. So, yeah, that's it. And what do you think about building a brand? Like, what's the role of a brand when entering a market or coming up with your own product? I think, like, personally, I've been really brand-oriented. So brand was very important for me when running QS, and it's been really important for me running Flowrite. I think with a great brand, you can make your your project look more established than what it is. So I think when we launched for the first time in, in October, we didn't have much uh, back then, but the website and the visuals that we had put out there were definitely more established than many companies who've been around there for, for a longer time. So we definitely kind of like bought ourselves time as well. We were able to create a lot of excitement because of our you know, the demos that we created and the visuals that we had and, and you know, a good looking website. And um, I think it's quite important. And um, I definitely like see the benefit of having someone in the team in the early stage that is, you know, brand oriented person. How would you describe Flowrite's brand? Like what's the message that you want to deliver with the brand? Yeah, this was actually like something that we really thought about quite a bit in the early days. We had seen a lot of, you know, GPT-3 powered products and a lot of AI products, AI writing products that were strongly focused on the AI part and, you know, the hype around it and, you know, riding the AI wave, building really like the kind of a brand that is really approachable for technical people that are, you know, in the startup bubble. And we wanted to make it slightly more inclusive and easier, approachable. We wanted to make it kind of light, somewhat colorful as well, and um, something that is appealing for people outside the the tech bubble. You know. Do you have any book recommendations or podcast recommendations or other content that you like to consume? Yeah, in terms of books, I think the one that I would recommend is Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. In terms of podcasts i've been listening to a lot of 20 minute vc lately uh, by harry stebbings he's had some really really amazing episodes lately so that's something that people should check out and what about the future do you have some hopes and wishes for your future you're probably now concentrating on flow right but after that yeah to be honest i'm really really focused on flow right now um don't have like any thoughts on what's going to happen after that. Uh, I think we're building fluoride with a really long-term mindset and that's something that we're going to you know, quit doing after a couple of years, uh, but instead something that it will stand the test of time, hopefully. And what's your vision for fluoride then? What is the ultimate goal that you want to reach with it? Yeah, the, the ultimate goal is to help really a lot of people. So we're talking about you know millions of people be more productive in their everyday writing tasks. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, great vision. So no, nice. We have touched a lot of different things regarding your time in Alto ES and uh, founding your company and your time in QS and uh, definitely valuable learnings there for 
all of our listeners. So thanks uh, that you came to our podcast and uh, good luck with your journey with Flowrite. Yeah, thanks a lot. Excited to see what Altrias will be up to this year. Good luck for you both as well. Thank you. Thanks.